and welcome to Time to Talk with Ross McCarthy. Ross McCarthy's got a master's degree in canine behaviour and psychology and also owns the London Dog Behaviour Company as well as the Dog Safety Education Executive and I've known Ross for many years. We did a master's degree together which was real good fun and today we're just going to be talking generally about dog behaviour, dogs and dog safety. Enjoy, sit back and enjoy. Take care. Bye-bye. Hi folks and here with Ross McCarthy of the London Dog Behaviour Company. I'm so happy to have Ross on the um, podcast today because we've worked together for years and years and years and uh, we were spring chickens really. So it's lovely having them on the podcast now to talk all things dogs. So welcome matey, it's great. Hello, good morning. Not quite sure we were spring chickens but um, I like the idea you were, I was, and I was 40. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm, I'm catching up. Sorry? I'm catching up with you. No, you'll never catch up. I'll always be like 10 years older, so that's yeah. okay. It's funny. So um, can I ask, I'm, I am doing this, a lot of chit-chat. They all, I've got questions in mind for you. Um, the first question has got to be, why dog behaviour. Why not something else? What got you into, uh, into dog behaviour? And you, you know, it's not the easiest profession in the world. Or certainly when you started off, what, 20 years ago, 20 mm-hmm. plus years ago, um, you, you know, we were still, we just, we were beyond Bobber Woodhouse by then, but it wasn't a very well-known profession, not like now. Um, it was a hard profession to get into. So why dog behaviour? Why dog behaviour? I think um, I was, for some reason, my answer to this always is, is I was a strange child because we didn't have family dogs or anything. But right from the outset, I was obsessed with dogs. So it was always, career choice was always between um, working with dogs, that was, the, that was the dream, that was the ideal, uh-huh. and or working as an architect. And I wasn't clever enough to be an architect, so um, I ended up... Working with dogs, fortunately. Which is awesome because I mean, like, you're one of the top behaviorists in the country and um, you made your mark, that's for sure. Fantastic. No, it's, it's been really good. As you said, I've been doing it now for 24 years or something like that. And um, obviously, over that time, you get to make a huge difference to the lives of people and their dogs. Uh-huh. Um, and as you just said, actually, it's not the easiest career to get into, and nor is it the easiest career to work in, the easiest occupation. I think there are lots of people that think this really is, you know, playing with dogs all day and skipping around having a lovely time, but actually the demands of the job, when you do it properly, are really quite intense. Working with people, with their emotions and everything, working with seriously aggressive dogs, working within the law, all of those things make this job very enjoyable, but equally it's not quite um, the lovely, fluffy career that people might think it is. No, and there's a lot of fluffiness in dog behaviour at the minute. Um, I mean, we've both worked on the front line with aggressive dogs. We've both been put in front of seriously aggressive dogs, you know, um, that people now call red zone dogs, whereas we just call them 
Aggressive yeah, every day, <laughs> you uh, you stand in the kind of tell you where your bladder is that's for sure because when they come at you you know where it is um there's there's an awful lot of fluffiness around at the minute isn't there you know wave a bit of chicken and and the world will turn it's sparkly it's really, and lovely and it's not reality most of the time no it's really difficult and yeah of course we always use food and you know training behavior reformation we have done for ever um but it's not the be all and end all and i think unfortunately what some people can't see when they're working with dogs so for example over the last i don't know maybe five ten years there's been when you're working with dogs that are aggressive towards other dogs there's a trend to use distraction and avoidance techniques so mm -hmm. getting the dog to watch you and or wash a bit of chicken or whatever waiting for the dog to pass then rewarding the dog etc but actually distraction and avoidance is just a distraction and avoidance. You don't get progression and you certainly don't get progression quickly enough for the real world. And I think what people don't realise is by prolonging, pro prolonging the issue, then the dogs are actually suffering a lot longer, a lot more. And of course the people are suffering as well. And a percentage of those dogs then end up in rescue because people can't live with those dogs and the methods that they're employing to resolve the issues are not effective. Mm -hmm. Or the dog gets destroyed because the yeah. owner can't cope. And um, at the minute, uh, I I find it quite distressing that people who've got dog behaviour issues at the minute, they've, they've, they've got two choices. They live with them and do the best they can or they get the dog destroyed because there's nobody able to go and help them and put them through, you know, behaviour reformation techniques or programmes and, and they're not going to be able to take them to rescue either. It's no, it's really difficult. I mean, I've had a few colleagues that have um, we've spoken lately that are saying, what should we do when you get a phone call, you know, an urgent phone call or email saying, I've got this dog. And of course, under the um, social distancing restrictions and things we're all living under at the moment, you can't go and visit people practically um, and help them get hands on with their dog because you need to get fairly close to them often and whatever. Um, but I think at the moment, our advice is just that you speak to people on the phone, you help them manage it for the time being. So any kind of practical safety advice that you can give um, to get them through the next, you know, few weeks or months, then um, that's probably what we should be doing. It is. I mean, it's so difficult because, like, we've we've always, both of us have had in mind that you never um, work with Gresham over the phone because you have to go and you have to see the setup of the house and the relationship, and you've got to suss out the relationship between the dog and the people in the family and and see the environment they live in and work with them within their own environment. And now yeah. all of a sudden we're finding we're having to give advice on managing aggression over the phone, which is always pretty dodgy, really, isn't it? Yeah. You, you, you just... Everybody lies. They don't mean to. Yeah. They lie, but, you know, those rose-coloured glasses or yeah. go the other way and say the dog's really, really aggressive when actually it might not be at all. And yeah. It's difficult, isn't it? It's really difficult because you can't test the dogs, you can't see the dogs. I mean, doing a FaceTime call or a Zoom meeting or whatever, seeing the dog sitting in the lounge, it's the dog sitting in the lounge, isn't it? You don't see the dog when visitors are arriving or out in public places. And things. So, but like I said, I think we just have to do the best. The, the situation that we're living in is really a very strange one, isn't it? So I think all of the normal kind of rules and regulations go out the window. And we just help people maybe to firefight for a bit so they can cope. And then um, hopefully when the sun comes out again, we can um, get to see them. Yes. Well, hopefully they'll be 
through the worst of it for the for the yeah. you know no, normal normal behavior problems if you know what I mean rather than the serious aggression problems yeah totally yeah so i can see the most amazing picture behind you on the wall is that a decal is, is, is yeah it, is well, that great big pink rock violet head oh it's beautiful <laughs> yeah it's cool isn't it? yeah a little ebay purchase <laughs> was it yeah it's amazing what you can buy when you're bored yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes so rotties anybody who knows you knows you're a rotty man um, yeah. But you didn't start with Rotties? No, always German Shepherds for me. Couldn't imagine having anything else. It was always, that's what I wanted as a kid. It was a German Shepherd. I wanted a German Shepherd. So, yeah, and I've had a fair few of those as well. Um, so the last one died probably about four years ago now, little Vico, um, who reached the age of 16. And, um, yeah, so now I have Rot Islas. Rot Islas, starting with Utz. Why? Why did you switch? What made you do it? It was, I went, I did a BIPDT, um, British Institute of Professional Dog Training Instructor course in about 2000. Uh-huh. And there were a cut, there were maybe three or four Rottweilers on that. And they all just looked so healthy in comparison to some of the frail examples of the GSD. We were going through a period at that time where the shepherds had very slopey back ends and they were not, none of the dogs that I was seeing were the image of the, the, the German Shepherd or the Alsatian as it was, that. I had visions of owning as a child, and the Rottweilers just looked so impressive and so powerful um, that I decided I'd get one of those next. And I did. There was the love affair. Yeah. Yes, I think to be like, it comes with Utz. I mean, Utz is um, he's, um, 11 now. And, um, but yeah, he's just been the most amazing companion, superb kind of for everything, really. So, um, and of course, when you have something like that, you want more, don't you? <laughs> the other two are not the same, so just <laughs> stuck with one. I know, and and then you got Rolke. Got and Rolke. He was nothing like us, and then you went off and got another one. <laughs> I went and got. I know there's something wrong with me. Um, yeah, no, I um, I got Rolke actually because I did working trials with us. Uh-huh. And I wanted to get another dog with a higher drive, a higher energy level. Hence, I got Roke to compete with as well. Um, and then when Vico died, for some reason, I thought I'll just go and get another Rottweiler. <laughs> so, but um, yeah, it's all good fun. It is. And uh, we, I mean, you use them when you do your uh, consults, your dog behavior consults but also in relation to helping people get over fear of dogs. So uh, we've, we set the Dog Safety Education Executive up years ago now. Yeah. What was mm-hmm. it, 20, 2011? And running courses on um, aggression awareness and um, for, for people who work with dogs and for the general public who want more information about aggression so tell me about the dog safety education executive dog safety education executive sorry what did you say just then i said tell me about dog c dog c so dog yeah c. we started that up in if you said 2011 then it would have been 2011 i have no idea but a long time um it came about, I guess, as a conversation between three of us, Chris Kent as well, who runs um, the Canine Project, who was working already with dogs in a different way, helping children to um, 
adapt their behaviour through working with dogs to adapt the dog's behaviour. So hopefully, you know, learning some skills there. But um, yeah, it came about, we started working with social workers who were, um, we thought it was just going to be sort of the average social worker, but actually most of the social workers were really fearful of dogs because of a lot of the situations that they found themselves in. So obviously, as a social worker, sometimes your help and intervention is not required. So people don't want you in their house. So actually, if you've got a dog that makes people feel uncomfortable or intimidated, then they use that to their advantage. So it started off, we were giving, going through just talking to or giving um, a one-day workshop on staying safe around dogs, which is our key, our um, little tagline. Um, so how you can manage, how you manage going into people's houses, what to do if you feel threatened, how to maybe use that dog as a bit of a tool so that you can, you know, build a, start to build a relationship with the dog, all sorts of things like that. And as a part of those workshops, we bring along dogs. So dogs of different sizes, um, noisy dogs, jumpy dogs, um, and particularly Rottweilers. Um, and it's really amazing to see how people really challenge themselves because people are often fearful and how they really kind of push themselves. And we've had some amazing um, successes where people have commented that their experience on a one-day workshop has been better than cognitive behavioural therapy for dogs and um, just how much more confident and, and able to do their job they feel with just a few skills. So, um, and then, yes, we've worked with Royal Mail, um, again, on dog safety education, um, housing associations, so again, delivering courses to them. All sorts of things. So that dog safety is one of the things I'm really passionate about. That's probably my favourite area of work. It's good, isn't it? And we we also did um, a couple of talks to the uh, dog, National dog Wardens Association. I was trying to get the acronym right, and I thought, no, I'm just going to say it, the National Dog Wardens Association. And we did um, a couple of their conferences for them, didn't we? And yeah. the thing that made you cringe and makes me laugh all of the time is my one thing that I always say to people, if you're going to go into a house, the first thing you do when you approach the garden is to rattle the gate. I know. I, yeah, I remember that. I said to you, what earth are we going to tell dog wardens? Because they're experiencing their job. They know how to use catch poles and things like that behind me. Um, they know how to do it. So what on earth are we going to teach them? And you turn around and say, rattle the gate. But we did see it and we said it with humour and um but it went down really well and the dog wardens were like, Yeah, thank you for reminding us yeah. that first point of contact potentially is when you open the garden gate. And so just by rattling the gate gives the dog a heads up somebody's coming into their territory and it also gives you a couple of minutes to see if there's a dog gonna come turn around the corner at you so yeah. it is good advice and i know it was sucking eggs but um it went, <laughs> it went down really well to like 100 dog wardens just rattle the gate as you go yeah on. okay mind you it's often the, the little the small things that you don't perhaps people don't think about isn't it so i think one of the main one of the main um the most important things that we teach on courses and workshops is that when you're attending a property where there's a dog you don't just rock up with nothing in your hands. No. You need to have like a, a, a case or a handbag or a clipboard or something just to use um, as a kind of a, a defence tool, really. And I think that's a really important thing because to, to, to just arrive at someone's house 
you're completely vulnerable if they open the door and the dog comes flying out, which has happened yeah. to you know numerous people in the past. So, and top tip. Top, well, there's loads of top tips, isn't there? Because uh, we used to teach, and I'm going to teach again uh, for anybody. Once lockdown's over, we'll be planning um, the masterclass course again, the behavioural masterclass course. And we bounce off each other a lot because we've both got very different styles. You know, you've got your your guardian breeds background, I've got my gun dog background. Um, and we, we both, we approach things really differently, don't we? And yeah, you have your opposite, yeah. Polar opposite, but work really well together. Um, my thing is, I knock on the door and take two steps back with my metal, hard metal case in front of me, and you knock on the door, take two steps forward. <laughs> Thrust myself forward with my case <laughs> and the clipboard. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I don't want the dog coming out and running behind me, so yeah. <laughs> People have a shock when I open the door and I'm right there. Yeah, yeah it, it is really funny, but there are things that people don't um, don't think of doing with dogs because I think it's getting more so that we're looking at dogs as fluffy little fur babies. Yeah. Generally, the general public are looking on with, as fur babies and cuddling them and wanting to get really close and, and you know tight and cuddly, especially at the minute while we're off. Everybody's at home wanting to stroke the dogs and get the dogs on the lap and cuddle them and stuff. But I think when you're a behaviourist, you look on dogs very differently. Yeah. And I think that also takes us back to sort of the dog safety education element as well, is because I adore my dogs, as do you. Um, I wouldn't have a house full of them if I didn't. So um, I absolutely adore them, spend an awful lot of time with them working, training, exercising, all the rest of it, making bone broth and all sorts of bizarre things. Oh, yeah. I adore them. However, they are dogs, and I think it does dogs a disservice to treat them as anything other than dogs, because dogs are, it's not a derogatory thing to be a dog, they're an amazing species that deserve to be treated in a species-appropriate way. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, you know, my background is, is, is you know, it's kinesiology, and I came into dog behaviour through kinesiology, and... Um, you, you know, a lot of the therapists are quite fluffy. Sorry, guys, but a lot of the therapists can be quite fluffy. And it's like, well, how can you not want to sit and cuddle your dog all the time? And how can you not want to do this? And and it's like, well, it's a dog. And mm. it's really hard, but it is, it's a dog. It's just a dog. And we should treat it like a dog. It's a social predator. Well, you just have to look at its teeth to know that it's a social predator. And yeah. um, and you should really honour their the energy system, you know, going, yeah. going down to the basics of the energy system. And it's, to me, it's about energy and um, honouring their energy system and treating them, as you say, in a species-appropriate manner. Yeah. No, it's fulfilling their needs and not fulfilling our needs through them. Oh, I like that. That's what we have to do, isn't it? It is. I like that saying. Let me write it down for my next book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It's really interesting, isn't it? So um, what kind of things can we do to help fulfil their needs? So, you know, give me a couple of tips that people can take away from in this podcast. For me, I think appropriate exercise is really important. So um, then again, that obviously within the age and the, the um 
the breed that you have and all the rest of it, making sure it's appropriate. I think exercise is really important because it's, I mean, I tend to, I'm a fan of getting up in the morning, having a coffee and then getting out with my dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, typically they go out for around an hour and a half in the morning and then come back and then they're quite content to, to rest and relax until the next time we go out, which is about four o'clock or something in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, so exercise is really important and I think also um, I'm quite passionate about feeding properly uh-huh. or food diets um, and also appropriate rules and boundaries in the house so that they feel comfortable and content and safe. Dogs that live in this vague kind of fluffy world with no rules um, I think often suffer as a result of not knowing where they stand within your family group um, and that leads to problems. Mm. And you did a DVD on it, didn't you? Um, uh, could you just tell us what that's called? Because anybody wants it. It's on. Is it on? Available on download now as well. Yeah, you can download it. Yeah, if anybody wants it, they can just contact me, um, or I can send you a download link or whatever. Um, yeah, it came out of lifestyle. I made probably now about eight years ago. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a long time ago. Um, might be slightly longer but it still looks really relevant um it still is really relevant and um basically it's 16 or so lifestyle factors that often i'll give clients to um clients that see the behavioral problems to employ um and it just creates um a more balanced content happy dog really and it's all very simple it's not rocket science but it is just simply creating rules and boundaries within the house and making sure we're aware of what we're doing in relation to the dog so when we're giving attention and affection and what that links to Uh rather than giving things away for free um, and creating confused dog all common sense have pretty much pretty much yeah Mm. which is not so common right say that again which is not so common well, yeah, I mean, common sense, it's not that common these days, is it, really? But no. um, maybe, you know, who knows, while we're in lockdown and people have got more time to just be people rather than rushing on to the next thing and always being yeah. really busy, maybe it's common sense will come back because yeah. a lot maybe. of the time it goes because of people are so busy and so stressed and doing the best yeah. they can within that environment. Um, yeah. People have a lot to juggle, don't they? And I think now we've all, you know, over the last couple of weeks, we don't have quite so much to juggle because of the restrictions placed on us. So, um, yeah, it gives, I think, yeah, it will give everybody food for thought, won't it? I hope so. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully we'll come out the other side with, um, yeah, more positive views. Great. And before we go... Um, something you touched on, which I'm really avid about as well, which is raw feeding. Yay. Have you got any little hints or tips for people who want to start raw feeding, how to go about doing it? You know, not uh, really scary tips because, you know, the thought of going on a raw feeding from kibble can be really yeah. scary. Um, yeah. There's lots of people, you know, get concerned about oh, but I'm dealing with raw meat. I think, well, I, I deal with raw meat when I'm feeding my family, so there's no difference between yeah. getting a bit of chicken out and feeding my husband and son is what it is to getting a bit of chicken out and feeding my dog. So, but that transition, have you got any hints on 
I mean, <clears throat> the transition, when I first started feeding raw food, which was a long time ago, I had a German shepherd with um, kidney stones that was fed on the natural wet, natural wet food. Um, and the vet prescribed me these um, tins of Hills HD. And I thought, I cannot afford to feed a German shepherd on about 10 of these cans a day. So I um, started looking at alternatives and stumbled across raw food and did loads of research. So I started making my own to so go to the butcher and faffing about and, you know, adding veg and all sorts of things that I'd liquidised. Um, but now there's so many products, really amazing products on the market that come pre-prepared. So I just, I mean, transitioning to raw food, I find that I just do it straight away. Um, obviously, you're best to have a chat with your vet. I'm not a vet. Um, but I transition straight away and I tend to find that there's very little upset um, to the stomach. And um, very quickly, you see lots of improvements in the overall health, well-being and behaviour of your dog. But you, like, with regard to cleanliness, I'm so I can't have raw meat or I'm a vegetarian. The, the prepared um, foods that come in like an ice cream container now, it's really easy to manage. I defrost, you know, for the day. I always have fed my dogs in the garden anyway. So if you do have young children or whatever in the house that are crawling around the floor, then obviously you don't want the dog dragging a chicken carcass around the kitchen. Um, but it's, it's just being sensible. And like you said, it's, you know, cutting up your chicken breast for your dinner is no different really to preparing the dog's food and um, keeping the house clean, is it? No, and it's not um, overly expensive. I can remember years ago, me, yourself and Iris Thompson, as she was then, um, working out a spreadsheet with all the different prices of the different kibbles do you remember we worked all the kibbles out and then the different raw foods yeah and um, nature's many natural instinct and there's a lot more now there's like the paleo and um is it ben benefic benefit yeah benefit natural yeah there's lots of different companies there's around all different companies now but back then there was only really nature's menu nature's diet uh, not nature diet, a natural instinct. Yeah, nutriment. Yeah, nutriment, and um, it all worked out pretty much the same as feeding a good quality kibble, not a cheap kibble, but a good quality kibble. So uh, price isn't really a factor that no. much. No, and I think I I believe if you feed the dog properly, appropriately, then you will have less. Um, medical issues, less need to go to the vet, so therefore saving money um, on all of those things as well. Of course, there are always exceptions to the rule. You can do everything and feed the dog perfectly and still have a dog that's unwell. But if, for the majority of dogs, if you feed them properly um, and care for them appropriately, then because it should be few and far between. And their behaviour will improve as well. Yeah. Like dog behaviour. And the main benefit to most people is the poo. But it's amazing going for when you see a dog fed on processed pet foods like dry food, when they go to the toilet and you see people with their poo bag with this mountainous pile of poo they're trying to get in it, bulging out on the way to it. <clears throat> I can fit all of my dog's poo, so four of them. All of their poo I can fit into one poo bag on my morning walk. They're tiny little hard pellets, which is really, um, yeah, massive benefit. That's worth it alone, isn't it? It is. It is. I mean, I'm like that. I'll kind of collect my dog's poo on the walk. And so the spaniel spud will do 
our spaniels do, you know, three poos or sometimes four poos on a walk. And I can get all of his poo and, you know, Dante's one or two poos in one poo bag. And it doesn't yeah. smell. It doesn't smell. No, it doesn't smell. No, doesn't smell. You know, no it's very cool. It is. It's wonderful. Mm. Well, I'm really conscious that we've been talking for about half an hour and I want to keep the podcast short enough for people to be really interested in listening to them all the way through to the end. Oh, we'd be interested all day. Oh, well, okay, let's not talk in then, shall we? <laughs> next time, next time. Yeah, yeah. I'll have you back again. Uh, in okay, the okay. It'll be lovely to talk more. Maybe, yeah. you know, fingers crossed, we'll be on the way out of lockdown. I reckon we're going to be in lockdown for about three months. I reckon come the yeah. I hope so. I think the main thing is that we always, as hard as it is to be staying in the house, because I live on my own, which is not very pleasant being on your own without any visitors and things. But I think the main thing is that we just try and keep well and get through this and um, come out the other side. Yeah, come out, come out the other side. Zoom, FaceTime, Skype, all amazing stuff to keep in touch with people. Yeah, absolutely. And And we've already seen so many changes and I'm making a real effort myself to contact lots of people that I don't contact and I should contact so yeah kind of building bridges and just checking in on everybody really that I think about it I think about somebody and wonder how they're doing then I'll um contact them and have a chat so it's been really nice to catch up with lots of people that I haven't spoken to for a while I think I think because of slowing down um I mean you, you know you have been not really catching up much at all this year and as soon as we went into lockdown fancy a coffee next week over zoom and and it is like that all of a sudden we've got more time yeah. on our hands for good communication so yeah. I, think, I think sorry i think also i think times like this it reminds because we all get very like you said earlier everybody's very busy we're all juggling all sorts of things um but at times like this it reminds you of the people that you really do care about and that you want to check in on, doesn't it? So, you know, we take for granted that people are going to be there, um, but maybe they're not. So, you know, we need to make an effort to connect. Absolutely. And I, I think it's going to be amazing when we come out of lockdown. People aren't going to be looking to see, you know, where they can go on holiday and what they can buy. They're going to be looking to see where they can go and get a hug or where they can go for a coffee yeah. with a friend. Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. It's, re it's reprioritised everything, isn't it? So, um, but yeah, the hugging thing and uh, yeah, the hugging and the parties. Hopefully, we'll have some some cool parties on the other side of this. Oh yes, oh yes. And in the meantime, uh, in the meantime, stay safe, enjoy your rotties. Yeah, thank you very much. It's been great talking to you, and we'll talk again um, on the podcast really soon. Brilliant. I'll catch up with you very soon. All right. Take care. Thanks, Ross. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.